Hey, this is Travis T-Bone Turner. We're here at the Tour 12 Podcast. Don't give your guide a knife for a tip. He probably has a knife because he's a guide. <laughs> kind of here he comes. That's the kind of stuff. Here he comes. He's coming in hot. Hey, I'm Nick Mont from Bone Collector. You're listening to the Tour 12 Podcast. If you're one of these guys who carried horns around ATA, just leave them at home. Quit being an idiot. And so B does all of our modeling. He's the look good guy. I'm the Definitely, uh, I don't have a voice for radio. I'm the face for radio. I'm the <laughs> ugly wild here, dude. You guys out there listening, you know, put your kids in front of this podcast. I mean, we're not going to get too crazy. You might want to put them to bed maybe a little bit later home, but <laughs> that's just that's just me talking. But we'll get to arguing over schedules or, or man, you know, something that we where disagree we're gonna on. Eat? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? But at the end of it, we hunt together because it, and hang together just because we truly, truly enjoy each other's company. Well, it is. It is our job, and we have a platform, and by all means, we're flying the flag as much as we can. We, we need, we want to preach it to the everybody. It's not for the elite. It's not for the rich. It's, it's enjoyment. Making a living doing something you absolutely love, what we call living your passion, you might actually be closer than you realize. It's actually what this whole podcast is built around, living your passion in three areas, business, leadership, and life. I'm Michael Waddell, and you're listening to the Tour 12 Podcast. Well, what is up? Welcome to the Tour 12 Podcast. What's up, Cody, the producer man? Not much, man. Back in the office this week, grinding away because we've been out filming and fishing. We're just a little bit behind. <laughs> just a little. But you know what? It's a it's good day. It's worth it. And it's a good day. <laughs> yes. Because we are getting to live our passion right here on the Tour 12 Podcast. And today, we have a great friend. I'm really excited about it. That today was the first time I've actually met him and just in the last hour it's been. You've been missing out. I know. It's what I my hear. my man, Kenny Drain. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Kenny Drain is in the office with us and he is an incredibly talented individual. I've known Kenny for, I don't know, not, not forever, but several years uh, now. 20 years or more. Probably. Something like that. Yeah. At least acquaintances for that long, yeah. for sure. And uh, it's funny because you never know why people meet. Right. Know? And we're going to get to a little bit of maybe why we met eventually in this podcast. But before we do, let's crank up a little sample of some Kenny Drain music. I remember Grandpa telling stories about the family tree. How he ran a bootleg caravan through the hills of Tennessee. Good stuff, Cody. Woo. I like it. You know the only problem with that song right there? What's that? Is I can't write music like that. I can't play lead guitar like was just being played right yeah, there. Yeah, but you were the inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny's got a new album out, and I happened to, I wanted to play that because that's, that's one of my personal favorite songs oh, cool. on the new album. Mine too. Mine just because it relates so home to me. Yeah. That's why I was pointing at myself when you was talking about one was running with the devil, one was singing with well, the choir. I wasn't going to say which one I thought it was. I was kind of in both. Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> I was on the weekends running with the devil until Sunday, and then I was back in the choir, <laughs> repenting and saying, God saved me. That's a bunch of us. I was there with you. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, it's a, it, honestly, it's a, all kidding aside, even outside of our friendship, it's an honor to have you with us on the show. Talk oh, a, man. Talk Appreciate little, you guys having me come in. Yeah, talk a little bit about what you do, and, and I know a lot of our audience don't, don't know you, and so I thought it'd be a good opportunity just to, to let people in just on, on how incredibly talented you are for one. Well, also, thank you. Mm, I don't know if I can live up to all that, but well, I'll do my best. You got a, a pretty impressive, I actually jotted some stuff down, you got a pretty impressive list of credentials, so Kenny has written for Blake Shelton, Jason Aldean, Tracy Lawrence, done stuff for Coca-Cola, all kinds of other artists. Um, you spent time recording. I'm probably going to miss some here. Recording um, as a recording artist with Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. um, Balmer Music, A Cuff Rose, and Universal Music. And I'm probably missing something else. Sony. Oh, that's plenty. 
<laughs> Kenny's a humble dude, man. So um, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm kind of, you know, a little bit of my music story I'm getting back into. I ain't quite got yeah, that man, list. Of, I ain't got that list of credentials just yet. <laughs> They're coming, though. They're coming. So uh, anyway, man, tell me, tell me what, just give me, a, give us a little backstory. I know you've been involved with music your whole life. Um, yeah. But mainly as a writer, correct? Yeah. I've uh, been writing since I was about nine years old and uh, sorry, my throat's kind of ragged. I was telling Heath that I did a bunch of yard work yesterday. My wife was like, what are you doing? You're talking on a show tomorrow and you're getting your allergies all messed up. But <laughs> um, funny story, I was telling them that um, we've had kind of a snake infestation around my house. Had like 30 copperheads show up, deciding that that was going to be our mating ground around my house. So we've been out killing them and <laughs> getting rid of brush and junk. So that's why I'm kind of ragged out. But anyway, no, I started right when I was about nine years old. And uh, I had some relatives that had a Southern gospel band. And uh, I thought that was cool. And they they would let me play drums every now and then, you know. And, yeah. and uh, I think tr- mom trying to make sure I didn't get out in the streets and get crazy. But so they'd take me to tent revivals. And but I started writing songs. And I just loved songwriting. I loved... Um, just the whole way a song could tell a story mm-hmm. yeah. and how a song could really have an impact on somebody's life, you know, and, and uh, if you write it the right way, it can really help get people have a bad time, yeah. you know, or just be something that's fun to crank up and just kind of get your mind off stuff. So I, I wrote all the way through high school, man, I got into a bunch of little bands and, and, uh, played a lot of clubs and rodeos and stuff. And my thing was always, if I'm going to be in your band, you got to let me do at least one of my songs. Yeah. You know? And that worked. Everybody started booing us off the stage. <laughs> so I learned pretty I quick. That. I had to write a lot better songs. But, um, but yeah, I wrote, wound up going to Nashville in the 90s. Just decided, you know, I'm going to try to give it a shot before I got too old to, to do something. And stoop, one of the worst times in the world to go to Nashville. My, we had a, a two-year-old and my wife was pregnant with our second child. Oh, wow. And I came to said, man, I feel like we need to go to Nashville. And, and uh, so I went down and kind of beat the bushes and things opened up. And so one of those things, them saying, well, we're not going to take you serious unless you actually move to Nashville. And uh, so I said, we got to get down there. I've got these contracts waiting, but they're not going to take it until I move down there. Mm-hmm. So uh, she being the wife she is, she said, well, let's go, you know, figure it out. Her her dad didn't like it too much and <laughs> thought it was crazy. <laughs> I thought it was crazy. And uh, we moved down and, and uh, man, things opened up quick. I wound up getting a, a publishing deal with a company called Baumer, which was Ann Murray's company. Uh, the singer, and uh, within about three months. And I, I didn't really go down there to be an artist. I'd sang a lot in bands and, and worship teams and stuff. I went down there just to be a writer. Yeah. Uh, but when they started hearing my demos and me singing them, um, they said, man, we ought to go after a record deal. And I said, well, whatever you want to do. You know, I was fine with whatever. And so long story short, within about six months uh, or so, eight months, uh, they hooked me up with another writer at the company, that was looking for a record deal. And uh, at the time, the market was just overrun with male solo artists. So I said, you know, there's too many solo acts, so why don't we, uh, why don't we make you guys a duo? Because there's more of a market for that. At the time, it was just like Brooks and Dunn and a couple of other people. And so we did it and uh, did a couple of showcases, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, wound up getting a record deal. Mm. So, wow. <clears throat> so it happened that quick, and that turned into about a four-year journey that was just nuts. It was just... Uh, um, nonstop travel and being gone all the time. We went from two kids to three during that time, and hmm. um, and I went from trying to write for other artists to mainly just writing for our album, right? And putting stuff on hold and um, turned down a lot of cuts during that time. Had uh, Tim McGraw and Brooks and Dunn, a lot of different people wanted to cut my songs. They was like, "No, we got to hold these for you guys." And oh wow, it was probably the dumbest thing I ever did. I was going to say, was that tough? Oh <laughs> man, when I thought about all the money I lost, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But the record label, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, like I said, we got to travel a lot, went all over the country, Canada, all different places. Um, but we were kind of in a weird time during Warner Brothers back in the early 90s or mid 90s. Uh, it was during a time there was a lot of change going on. And, and while we were out, we went through like two or three main staff changes. Like uh, it was crazy. Like we'd be on the road promoting a single and it's a, hey, we just. You know, the vice president got fired. We're changing the staff. We're going to pull you guys off the road and come back home and put you on hold for two or three months. And, and it was one of those things. It was hard being a dad during that time because, uh, uh, you know, it'd literally be a thing of them calling on a Tuesday and say, uh, hey, be at the airport at 9 o'clock in the morning. We're flying to Minnesota or California or wherever. And, mm. 
it was tough, you know, on our kids, on kids and, and my wife. But I did that for about four years, and we had a couple of top 30 singles, and, and it was just starting to crank up and do real well. And uh, and they were going to really get behind us, and, and we're going to open up for a bunch of big acts. And I looked at our schedule, and it was going to be about 230 days out. Wow. And I just thought, man, I just can't. I don't know if I can do this. You know, it's it already been a strain on my, my wife and my kids, and – and so just being absolutely insane, man, I just, you know, prayed about it a lot. And, and I just decided I can't do it. You know, I don't want to be a substitute dad. And, and uh, so I just made a decision to walk away from it. You know, we were signed to a 10 album deal worth millions of dollars. And, and we spent four years on it and uh, just starting to take off. And I just thought I just can't, can't do it. Wow. You know, I didn't want to sacrifice my family for the career and, so I got with the head of the label and my management and my partner, and I just said, guys, I, I just can't do this, you know. And uh, it was a little tense. I bet. Uh, was, you know, it was a little crazy. <laughs> and But I had a real good relationship with Jim Ed Norman, the head of Warner Brothers at the time, and he just said, man, I know you well enough to know if your heart's not in it, you're not going to do it. And so he said, I'm going to do something I hardly ever do. He said, I'm going to let you out of your contract. Wow. Because once you sign, they can hold you for years. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have to let you out. Right. right? And so – he let me out, and uh, I just jumped back into writing full time and had a lot of great uh, success with uh, Jason Aldean and Blake Shelton, uh, Tracy Lawrence, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, just a bunch of acts from the 90s that kind of came and went, had a lot yeah. of stuff cut overseas. Um, but jumped back into that and did that great till about the early 2000s, and then uh, moved back home, got out of it, and that's a whole other story. Yeah. I got out of that, so... Anyway. Yeah, but you're getting back into it. Got back into it. Jumped out for about 10 years. Um, when, the, when the industry was going through a big change uh, because of all the downloading and streaming that was going on and, and publishers were shutting down a lot of companies and writers were being laid off. And um, I was working for a company with Universal that got shut down just abruptly. And um, I had a couple other deals on the table. And, and another thing I just went out and prayed about one night and said, you know what? do I need to keep doing this or is it time to do something different? And uh, at the time, my dad was having some health issues. My wife's mom was having some health issues and we didn't get back home a whole lot. And so we thought, you know, we want them to see our kids more. Yeah. So we just made a decision to pack up and come back home to Arkansas. And uh, with the kind of the intention of <clears throat> once we got back, I would get back into it eventually. But, you know, we came back, and I jumped into survivor mode, man, and just got jobs. I helped a buddy with landscaping and mowing yards. And yeah. But anyway, you know, I went from uh, <clears throat> being in the industry and being known and writing with artists and producers and, and uh, all the big shots and golfing with all these people and being somebody to literally within about a month come back and mowing yards and doing landscaping. and a uh, tough time. It was, it was a tough time in a way, but uh, – it was it was the best decision we made because when we came back, we found out my dad had cancer and he died in about it, about six months after that. Oh wow! And then my my wife's mom died about a year after that. So wow. you got to, <clears throat> so we got to spend time with them. They got to be around the kids. So I don't regret it at all. Yeah. And it really gave me a time to come back and just focus on just being a dad and being a husband and being home every day at five o'clock. You know, and because yeah. uh, even though I wasn't doing the artist thing in Nashville, <clears throat> even though. Uh, just being a, a full-time writer, man, it's a job. You go in at nine o'clock and they expect you to write till four or five or six o'clock. And then sometimes you write in the evening until midnight. I mean, it's a factory, you know, you get up and you, they expect you to crank out songs. Yeah. And so that's what you do. And uh, there's always something to do. You're writing, you're in the studio, you're going to some event, you're playing golf with somebody, trying to talk them into writing, doing one of your songs. Um, so it's a nonstop seven day a week yeah. thing. So it was kind of it was kind of good for me to get away from it. I didn't realize I was kind of burned out more than I was, because I went down there just enjoying songwriting and just wanted to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. and, but when you get in there and start cranking it out, and you're doing it five, six days a week as a job, you kind of lose the love of just doing it. Yeah, and it becomes more. I just got to crank out something. <clears throat> Sorry, I just got to crank out something to to keep my draw. Yeah, you know. So. But when you were back home during that time, I, I know you well enough to know you didn't lose your passion for music mm -mm. and writing, even though you wouldn't have to do it for a job. Did you find <clears> a lot of freedom in that, just being able to keep writing? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, I took I took several years off where I just uh, I did different jobs. I wound up going to work for a church where I did a lot of, 
I kind of got back into leading worship again. I hadn't done that in a while. And um, so I, I was kind of, you know how it is in churches, man. You kind of do everything. I was a youth pastor, college pastor, worship director, helped with administration. Yeah. I helped with special events. I mowed the grass, whatever it took. <laughs> Clean the toilets. Yep. I mean, you yeah. know, clean up the, the throw up from the kids in the nursery. I mean, <clears throat> whatever happened, I was the guy that they went to. So did that for a while, and I got into advertising and uh, worked for, I was COO for advertising company for a while and, and did that. And that, that was great, but it was real stressful. So I kind of put songwriting on hold for a while <clears throat> and because um, I was just so caught up in just surviving, just trying to make a living and getting kids through school. And, and uh, you know, every now and then I'd have an idea, I'd jot it down, you know, or I'd get a guitar out and I'd think, ah, what am I going to do with this? You know? Right. So and I kind of lost contact with Nashville. I think intentionally I was just kind of like, I just got to get away from it for a while, you know, because it's pretty intense when you're down there oh, yeah. full time. and. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> so but you know after about 10 years actually um once our, our youngest daughter started to graduate um that it started kind of coming up again and i had a couple guys some friends of ours i won't name their names i won't embarrass them but they'd come up to me in church and say man are you ever going to start writing again and why are you doing this you know yeah. I'm like you're supposed to be writing i said yeah i'm gonna get to it i'm you know I'll get back around and you know how it is man you look up and and you think you're going to get back into something in six months, and you look up, and it's been 10 years, yeah. you know? Plus. Especially with kids. Yeah. So, uh, so I had a couple of people, man. God just put in my life to keep kind of nudging me and bugging me to death about writing. And, and uh, I finally decided to kind of get back into it. And, and once my youngest daughter uh, was about to graduate, I just felt like I needed to do something again. And I was going to have more free time than I had before. And, and so I started making some calls to see if there was anybody I still knew in Nashville. I thought, man, they've either left or died or something. <laughs> <clears throat> After that time, because Nashville's a hard town, man. You don't survive yeah. very long. So the cool thing was, is uh, once I got into it, I started finding out that some of the guys I was writing with that were just kind of trying to make it and struggling and trying to get up there, they had fought their way through. And now they were like heads of labels, heads of publishing companies. Uh, oh, wow. They were producing some of the biggest acts in the business. So I finally got back in touch and they're like, man, where you been? We thought you died. And what happened? And we hadn't heard anything. And we thought you just went nuts and just left the country. And I said, well, I kind of did. And, and uh, but it was cool that I was able to get right back in touch with them. Yeah. And you know, some friendships are, you just jump. I don't care if it's been a year, a week or 10 years. Sometimes you just jump right back to where For you sure. were. <clears throat> so that's how some of them were. And so I jumped back into it a couple of years ago and decided to just focus on that. And uh, started writing again, got back into doing demos, and man, a lot of cool things were opening back up in Nashville. I had some songs that were being looked at pretty serious, and uh, starting to write with some people in Nashville. Then Nashville got hit by the tornado yeah. you know, back in February, whatever it was, March, and uh, ripped up a bunch of downtown, and then the virus thing hit, yeah, and so everything just shut down. And so I was sitting on all these songs and all these demos, I thought, man, there's nobody I can pitch to right now because the artists are just pretty much on hold right they weren't recording you couldn't even go into a recording studio hmm. and uh nobody was touring so they put all their projects on hold i thought man i just want somebody to hear these songs yeah so i thought i'm just gonna put out my own album and just throw it out there and see what happens and yeah i'm still gonna pitch them yeah the guys but um so that's kind of a long short story of where i am now and, yeah and, and uh, you contacted me, and and uh, here we are. Yeah, so I don't know if I can say this on the podcast or not. You, we can cut it if we ain't supposed to. But you, before COVID hit, you had a song that Blake or somebody was, or Luke Bryan or somebody was looking at, weren't they pretty uh, yeah, hard? Yeah, um, me and Jeff Stevens, uh, Luke's producer, are good buddies. Oh, yeah? We, we're the ones who wrote, I wrote uh, Asphalt Cowboy that, that Blake Shelton and Jason Aldean cut. Yeah. And so Jeff and I have written a bunch of songs, and he and I are buddies, and he's one of the ones I got back in touch with. When I left Nashville, uh, Jeff uh, was in between deals. I mean, he was a hit songwriter. He'd already had songs cut by George Strait and a bunch of big guys. And, and But he was in between deals. He's trying to figure out what he was going to do. And I kind of kept up with him, what he was doing. But when I called him, um, he had hooked up with Luke about a year after I left Nashville, and, uh, and Luke couldn't get anybody to, to produce him. And so he hooked up with Luke, did some songs, got him a deal, and uh, you know now he's one of the biggest artists in the business. Oh and yeah! Now Luke, now Jeff's one of the biggest producers in the business. So I called wow. him. I said, I said, dude, you still want to hang out with some nobodies? And, 
<laughs> he, he, Jeff being Jeff, he said, are you kidding me, man? I'm still a nobody. I don't know how I got here. He yeah. said, I just woke up, now I'm a producer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I had a couple of things I'd sent Jeff, and and he was looking at for Luke's uh, current project and uh, pretty seriously looking at a couple, and then everything just shut down. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> they were going to cut like 13 on the project, I think. And Jeff was looking at a couple. And uh, when they saw hit, they decided to go ahead and get the project rushed out. So they cut it off at like 10 songs, and they already had them done. And it's hard to get cut, man, because uh, all the artists are trying to write. And they've got their little group of guys they like writing with. And, and, and a lot of it's about money and, and uh, percentages, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's really hard as an outside guy, especially sitting in a whole other state away, to get a song uh, going. But but luckily, I've got some, still have some really good contacts down there, and and uh, I think once this thing opens back up, I'll be making a lot of trips to Nashville. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's kind of how that happened. So are you really? Because I'm looking at it from my vantage point here are you really an outside guy if you're calling luke bryan's producer <laughs> i'm yeah. looking from my seat yeah. here yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean in my mind I, well it's really kind of a weird it man it's a strange town because when you're down there and especially if you've had some success either you've had a some songs cut or you're on a major publishing company or especially if you've had an artist deal um and then everything opens up to you yeah i mean the doors just fly open and you can write with anybody you want to write with you can call anybody you want to call, and they'll answer your number. Uh, I mean, it's just nuts. You know, once you're in that community, you're really in that community. Yeah. Now, once you lose the record deal or you stop having cuts for about a year or so, um, the bad thing is it's kind of a fair-weather friend kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, oh, we can't really get anything out of you now, so they stop answering right. calls. They stop You stop being able to walk into places you used to be able to walk in before. Um and so you really find out who your real friends are and who aren't. Yeah. And the cool thing about Jeff, man, Jeff's just real. I mean, he's just he's just a down home uh, guy. He's uh, like when I got back in touch with him, he he. There's no reason he should have answered my call. He could have said, you know, I hadn't seen you in ten years. You haven't been writing. You're not really in the industry anymore. I don't have time for you. But man, right. he just go, hey man, where you been? Man, miss you. And you still writing? And let's get back together. And that's awesome. And I had two or three people like that that just opened the door right back up for me. Um, so in my mind, yeah, I'm still kind of an outside <laughs> guy because I'm not down there every day right. and thick of it, you know. Yeah. So anyway, that's awesome. Well, you, I, I love seeing the behind the scenes of you know because <clears throat> I, I don't think a lot of people in the in the music industry or not outside the music industry understand how much writing goes on behind the scenes oh, for some of these big names. It's amazing when you think there's there's probably, I mean, back when I left uh, in the early 2000s, there was probably couple hundred publishing companies and thousands of writers and because of all the streaming and stuff it's hit and because it's put such a took a big chunk out of the money stream um publishing companies are probably down to i'd say under 100 or less wow. and uh, man i've got friends who've won grammys who've had you know multiple number ones they've been on millions of records and they can't get a deal wow you know because uh, the draws came down the what they're paying writers has come down i mean if you're still having success if you're getting cuts current cuts um you can still make a decent living but um but you just got to crank them out but yeah when you think about there's literally hundreds and maybe still thousands of writers down there writing every day so when yeah. you when you get the tip sheet and it says hey tim mcgraw or blake shelton or whoever's looking for a song the stress is you realize there's hundreds of writers who just got that same tip sheet. <laughs> They're all writing. And we're the same, all trying yeah. to write the same song. There's only going to be 10 songs on that record. Wow. The artist is gonna, probably going to write half of them. He's probably got his buddies going to write the other two or three. So you may, have, <laughs> you may have a shot at one or two of the cuts. Wow. And so you're one out of several hundred that's trying to get that same slot. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, the pressure is amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got to be unique. you got to come. And sometimes the sheets would say, hey, they're looking for something that's uh, rocking southern uh, kind of a summer fun song. It's like, golly, how many different ways can you write a stinking summer? Song? Yeah, <laughs> and everybody else is writing the same kind of unique idea. That's interesting. So you think I just put a polka swing to it, or what? <laughs> you know what? What the crap am I going to do that that uh, Blake Shelton's going to hear that's different from all the hundreds of songs he's getting? I mean, when we were doing our album for Warner Brothers. Um, we literally listened to over five thousand songs. Wow! And we wound up writing the whole record. And so, and I helped produce it, and and uh, but we literally had 
over 5,000 songs come in that we listen to. Wow. So part of our day was we'd go in a room and just sit there and put on a CD. And you get to where you know after about the first half of the verse. I was going to ask yeah. if you knew. <laughs> you know, sometimes the first line, you go, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Or you get to the chorus and go, nah, no. You just get to the point where you know what you're looking for. Yeah. And you know if the song really fits what the theme you're trying to go after. So you learn how to weed through them pretty fast. But man, after you listen to 5,000 songs or, you know, there were days I'd listen to a couple hundred in a day, and I was writing all day. That's nuts. And so you get you get to the point where you're just like, God, give me something that just sounds different. Yeah. You know, I've heard out of these 60 songs I just heard, 54 of them sound just alike. Mm-hmm. All the same hook, all the same lines, all the same ideas, because they're all trying to write the same thing. But every, every now and then that one song would pop up and go, oh, wow, that's different. And the cool thing from a songwriter's point of view going through that experience is it, it taught me how realizing what artists were going through trying to find the right songs it made me realize I've got to write better I've got to be a better writer I've got to come up with a, a different kind of hook a different yeah. kind of line I got I've got to come up with a different way to say to say the same thing or I'm not going to get cut yeah so it was cool for that that's interesting yeah so you had a great song years ago called Asphalt Cowboy yeah one of my favorites you mentioned it a few minutes ago Give me a little, we're going to play a little piece of it here in just a minute, but give me just a quick little background on how that came about. Well, wow, that song, um, that started out with me and Jeff having a writing session, I think it was on like a Wednesday or Thursday, and I took, I took the day before off to take my kids to a matinee, a movie. So I took my sons to a matinee, we were coming out, and inside the lobby, they had all these video games set up, and you know these games you can actually get inside and actually play? Oh, yeah. They had this they had this racing game you could get in sit beside your, your son and, and and race and so they had to pick out these characters and so i picked out this big diesel truck and the character's name was asphalt cowboy <laughs> <laughs> so i sit down and pilot oh crap that's a that's a great title i mean you, you, you learn as a as a writer down there man everything's a potential song right that's uh, if someone says a title or a phrase that's why when you go out to eat lunch or somewhere in nashville you got to whisper I'm you're, telling you, you're, I can totally relate right now, Cody. Man, because your next, you know, you might be having a conversation. It could be the next hit for somebody. And you go, crap, why didn't I think, why didn't I write that down? But you, yeah. so you go to a restaurant or cafe and you'll see people writing on napkins and getting on their phones. And you think, what did they just steal from me? <laughs> so you got to watch what you say around That's people hilarious. down there. So anyway, I, I saw this and I, uh, we were on the way home. And I called Jeff. I said, man, I got a title. That's, that's really, we, we got to write this title. He said, what is it? I said, what's well, Asphalt Cowboy? He said, oh, I love that. So I went home being who I am. I, I write till like two or three in the morning, just about every night. And I went home and worked out the verse, the first verse and most of the chorus. And then I got with Jeff the next day and he'd already, he'd, he got stirred up too. So he already had a guitar thing. He had the, the hook on it, already figured out on guitar. And uh, so we started working on it. And when you write a song, especially in that environment, you got to think, man, how can I make this unique? So we tried it fast, slow, mid-tempo, <clears throat> you know, groove. We just tried to figure out uh, a way to make it really fit the lyric, have the same emotion we wanted in the lyric. So we kind of came up with this music. Jeff came up with this great hook, guitar hook. So we worked on it for about two or three days. And uh, we were actually sitting in Warner Brothers uh, at the Warner Brothers building. And we just finished writing it. And this will kind of date me. Uh, we had like a big, these huge boom boxes that had cassettes <laughs> on each side. <laughs> so we'd take a boom box in and we'd, we'd have a cassette. And so we would actually do a work tape right there in the, in the office, you know, and just hit the cassette and play it. So we were in there playing this uh, little work tape. And Michael Knox uh, walked by. He was working for Warner Brothers at the time as a plugger. And he said, man, what's this song? We said, well, we just finished it. The Asphalt Cowboy. He said, he said, let me have it. I got to run with it. No, man, we haven't demoed it. It sounds like crap. Our guitars are out of tune. It's a cassette. <laughs> he said, no, really. He said, Tim McGraw's looking. Let me, let me just have that cassette. I said, all right. So we gave him the cassette. He ran across the street and played it for Byron Gallimore, Tim's uh, producer, which I had pitched a lot of stuff to. And Byron loved it and put on hold for Tim. So then 30 minutes after we wrote it, it was on hold for Tim McGraw. Wow. And so in the meantime, we were trying to figure out how to get it demoed, and we, we really thought we had something. And so uh, Tim held it for a couple of weeks. It wound up being too rangy for Tim. He just couldn't sing the high parts. So it came off a of hold for Tim. During the meantime, we went and demoed it and uh, had Jeff sing it. His voice fitted great. Jeff was a great singer. Um, and over the course of a couple of months, it was on hold for like Brooks and Dunn, Joe Diffie, um, four or five other acts picked it up but it's kind of a rangy song you'll hear when you play it and 
So we're like, God, somebody's cut this stinking song. It's not like a big old hit, you know, and everybody's loving it, but nobody's wanting to cut it. And so during the meantime, kind of my story about Blake Shelton is uh, uh, Blake, when he first came to town, he was working on jobs. He actually got hired at the publishing company I was working at and got hired as what was called a, a tape copy guy. And so what Blake would do is he, we'd go in and do a session and come back and say, okay, Blake, here's a session. And I'm going in to pitch songs for Tim McGraw and whoever, George Strait, whoever tomorrow. I need on this CD, I need these two songs in this order. On this CD, I need these two songs. On this CD, I need a female version. So you'd lay it out for him. And Blake was horrible. He was the worst tape copy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Blake, if you're hearing this, buddy. You're probably okay. You know? <laughs> well, and, it, and so, you know, and just, just for people to know, if they look at it, uh, during my Nashville days, I wrote under the name of Kenny West. Right. And that came out of the label saying, we're not going to sign anybody with the last name of Drain. It's not going to happen. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> so so we, I was under West. So if you see it, it's under Kenny West. That's really me. And uh, <laughs> so, so Blake, if you hear this, it's Kenny West. Um, so, uh, that's hilarious. So Blake, uh, well, I won't tell you more about Blake. But anyway. <laughs> Blake has, I think he's turned out okay. Blake's turned out pretty good. But, so I would literally go into a pitch session with one of these big producers. And you got to realize when you set up a pitch session, you may have to wait two or three months to get a 15-minute session with the main producer or an artist. Oh, wow. Because there's so many people trying to get to them. So I've been waiting for a couple months to go in, and, and it was Byron Gallimore from McGraw. And I told him, I said, and Byron also did Faith Hill. So I was going to pitch to uh, Byron's wife, Missy, which did all the, found all the songs for him. And I said, Blake, I want these three songs for Faith Hill. I want these three songs for Tim McGraw. They got to be in this order. It's a real, polit you got to really think about the meeting, you know. Hmm. So I get there and start to play the songs for Tim McGraw, and he put, he put a female version I wanted for Faith on Tim's CD. <laughs> he put a song I was going to pitch to Joe Diffie, which Tim would have never cut on the same CD. And so I, Missy says, you want Tim to do a female song? I said, no, that's, that shouldn't be on there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, so that just blew the whole thing. Right. She's like, well, you know, next get your CDs together and come back, but none of these are going to work for Tim. So wow. I walked out thinking, Blake. So I got back to I said, Blake, you just killed my session. <laughs> Kenny, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> Blake's a great guy. He's just he's just like he is now, the way he was back then, and and uh, funny guy. But anyway, Blake wound up. My publisher called me one day, and I'll get off of Blake. He called me and said, hey, I want you to come in here with me. So I'm going to have to fire Blake. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. He said, he's just not working out, and he likes you, so... <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't want to be in that meeting. So so I, I kind of came in and went out, but he said, I'm going to do the best thing I could do for you. He said, and he said what's that? He said, I'm going to fire you. He said, you're a great singer. And he, Blake was starting to sing some demos for us. Once we realized he could sing, we are like, God, this guy can sing, you know? We saw he was this tall, goofy kid from Oklahoma, didn't know how to do anything. And, and so he, my publisher just said, man, you need to have an artist deal, but you don't have any ambition being here doing this. You need to get out there and make it happen. So Blake probably didn't like it at the time, but it wound up leading him to getting his deal. Yeah. So I'll try to condense this. So Blake uh, got a record deal on, uh, first he was with Curb, and Curb got shut down, so he wound up being with Warner Brothers. And uh, Blake called me one day and said, hey, man, he said, I, I've heard this song, I what Cowboy, he said, I'd really like to cut. I know I'm a new artist. I may flop. I may totally just be nothing. I may wind up being in Oklahoma next week. He said, but I really want to cut this song. I said, well, nobody else is cutting it. So I called Jeff. He said, yeah, what the heck? He may be the next big thing, you know. So so Blake cut on his first project, and it was going to be uh, uh, the second single, and then it was going to be the third single, and it was going to be the fourth single. And it wound up never being a single, mainly because it's a little long and it's pretty pitchy, kind of rangy thing. So, so anyway, so Blake never had a single with it. So about a year after that, Michael Knox, the guy I told you about who pitched the song to McGraw for us, um, he was looking to be a producer, so he went out and found uh, Al Dean. Al Dean was playing some clubs in Georgia and had a huge following, and, and uh, he was just a rocker, man. He, he was one of these, this is back in the 90s, you know, when, when 90s country was really hitting with Joe yeah. Diffie and Brooks and Dunn, and here comes Al Dean with tattoos and an earring, and right. he's, he's doing everything from George Strait to Guns N' Roses, <laughs> <laughs> which I love, man. I thought, this is awesome. I, I love this kid to cut my song, so... Yeah. So they had a hard time getting somebody to take him serious, but Michael uh, produced him and uh, cut some tracks on him. 
and found an independent label that was just starting called Broken Bow, and they decided to take a chance on him. Well, Michael called and said, hey, man, he said, I love Asphalt Cowboy. He said, I can't believe nobody's cut it. He said, but I want to take a shot with Jack, of this new kid I got. And uh, I met Jason at Warner Brothers walking through the hall one day, a good kid. And and, uh, and so Jeff and I were like, man, go ahead. You know, it wasn't a single for Blake. So, and so a lot of times songs will get cut on several projects, and especially if they're not a single. If they're a single and they kind of get labeled as that artist song, then most people won't cut it after that. It's like a big classic song. But um, so we let Aldine cut it. And uh, again, same old thing, man. It's going to be the first single, then the second single, and the third single. And my wife was like, man, can we go put money on a house? I said, well, let's just wait. I've been through this before, you know. Let's don't bogle by the, the beachside home just yet. <laughs> it was a good thing because it never wound up being a single. And uh, But the cool thing about that song, the reason one of my favorite songs is, uh, first, that Blake was a good buddy of mine, and he cut it. But then it was one of the only songs for about seven years that Jason would come out with just he and an acoustic guitar. Really? And play it. Well, he loved it because it reminded me of his grandpa. Uh, his grandpa was a truck driver so it's kind of a dedication to him he'd come out and play it every night but it was the only song he would come out with just him and acoustic guitar so that was kind of cool yeah Mm -hmm. and then the cool thing was and jason wanted it to be a single and if you if you look him up on youtube uh jason aldean live uh one of the versions is like a hundred thousand versions but um one of the versions he actually says you know yeah i said i've always wanted this to be a single it's one of my favorite songs but apparently my record labels knows more than i do and he kind of cusses a little bit and and uh so it's cool that he really believed in the song he put the name asphalt cowboy across one of his buses uh, i got a picture of that jeff sent me and um but then about two years ago i think or three years ago the hall of fame decided to do a big tribute to jason and they did a big uh display right when you walked into the country music hall of fame of jason's uh booth and so he decided to call it the label at asphalt cowboy so when you walked in holy cow and you saw this big tribute to jason aldean's 10-year career you see this huge banner crosses jason aldean asphalt cowboy wow that's cool that was cool uh and but the coolest thing to me out of all that is i found out that probably about a hundred biker clubs started out this song and called himself asphalt cowboys really <laughs> so i've seen pictures of bikers with leather jackets and and uh so they're all over the world um and then even a couple months ago <laughs> that's crazy a couple months ago a buddy sent me a, a facebook picture and he said hey man he said your song's playing at this casino i said my song's playing at the casino and he laughed he said yeah he said look and he sent me a shot of the, of the marquee and there was a band playing at a casino called asphalt cowboys really yeah so that's that, crazy. So that song's been around the world. It's, it's sold millions. It's on millions. Uh, it went gold and platinum plus on Jason stuff, and Blake's thing went gold. Um, uh, so it's been all over the world, and it's done all kinds of stuff. But even though it was never a single, it still got a whole lot of mileage. So it was yeah. cool. What's that like for you? I mean, I know you're a humble dude, but because you're sitting there writing those lyrics or whatever, and now to see what it's done over all these years, is it a little bit? Is it a little mind blowing? Yeah, I mean, it's a little overwhelming because you think, um, you know, Jason did it in concert for about eight years straight, and he's he played in front of millions of people, yeah. you know. Um, it's cool. I mean, when you're writing a song, you're just trying to write the best song you can write. Yeah. And then you're just hoping somebody's going to cut it, and hope you hope you get a single out of it because that's where all the money is. But, um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Every now and then I'll pull up the video of him doing it live, and, and it's kind of satisfying. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know I, and I've never got to meet Jason. That's we, crazy. We moved back uh, even at, when we were still there. Uh, it took off so fast for him. Um, I never got around to meeting him. And so I hope I hope someday I get to meet him and just say, hey, "Man, thanks for cutting my song." Yeah. You know. And Jeff's Jeff's been out. He used to go out with Luke, and uh, Jeff would send me pictures of him doing concerts. Hey, man, uh, Jason doing your song, doing our song right now, and and it was cool seeing his name, the name of it across his bus. And yeah. Um, you know, the cool thing with me, I found a clip. Um, I did a search a while back just to see who all still doing the songs, and and I found a clip of a, a little kid about ten years old. Really, and he's dressed up in a cowboy outfit, and he's at a talent show at his high school, at his grade school, and he sang Asphalt Cowboy. Wow! And he was, t- you know, his voice is cracking. He's all nervous about the how cool is that? Man? That is awesome. It goes from a stadium to a little ten year old kid in a high school in a grade school doing it as a talent show. So, was, so yeah, it's pretty satisfying. I mean, it, it makes you. It makes you want to write another song. Yeah, you know, and you think, man, I got to, I got to stay at that level. Right. You know, you, it makes you not want to go back. Yeah. So it's cool. That is awesome. Let's hear it. Yeah, Cody, crank it up. You got a little piece of it. I'm in 
cool. Man, that is awesome, man. Go, if you hadn't heard it, I know we got a lot of younger listeners on here, too. If you hadn't heard it, go find it. It's on iTunes, I guess, under Al Dean. Yeah, it was on his first, and, first album. Is it Blake got it on there, too, or no? It was on Blake and Jason's first album. Okay. Awesome. So here's one of the things that's intriguing to me about you, and, and I'm uh, I'm impressed. Me, well, it's just impressive <laughs> to me because I've I don't know obviously a ton of people. I know about three people in the industry. Now you're number three. <laughs> I know two saying I know he and I know Adam Sanders. That's about Man, it. For you got to get out more. I got to get out more. But but I do know enough about creatives to know a lot of people are just kind of stay in their lane and they do certain things a certain way. And I'm assuming that's the, the case with writers a lot sure. of the time. Yeah. And and what I've seen in you just over the years and, and learning about, about your success is you're so diversified in the way you can write if you need to. Mm-hmm. And so you've done a lot of different projects for, for different companies, sure. Coca-Cola being one of those, yep. um, that is totally opposite of what it sounds like you love, the oh, country yeah. music and Americana style of music. Oh, yeah. And so tell me a little bit about, about that. Well, you know, I think there's there's different kinds of writers. There's writers who um, are really focused on just what they do, and they're kind of their genre, whether it be country or pop or rock or whatever. And and that's great. That's just what they focus on, and they're great at it. And then there's the kind of writers like like I wanted to be. Which I wanted to be a professional songwriter. I wanted to be a full time, make my living doing that. And so to do that. Um, you can do that in, in Nashville if you're really focusing on country, but the way the market is now where there's so many influences as far as there's pop, rap, uh, soul, there's a lot of influences now in country music there wasn't, say, 10 or 15 years ago. And so um, so I always, I just love music, man. I love jazz. I love gospel. I love country. I love rock. I love pop. I yeah. love uh, southern gospel. There's not, there's not hardly anything you can throw at me. I can't find something I love. I love bluegrass, you know, yeah. so... So uh, I just always wanted to just write whatever I needed to write at that moment and whatever I was feeling. But also if I, I had a project come to me, you know, I've been asked to write for some movies before. I've been asked to write. Um, I just wrote for a, a major car company in Arkansas. They wanted a new song for their brand. So I wrote that something for them. Uh, the Coca-Cola song was about as pop as anything, you know, yeah. and, and uh um, and I'm writing some stuff right now. I'm hoping to get picked up for a Hulu series um, that a buddy of mine's working on. And he, it's indie pop. I mean, it's about as it's about as far away from country as, <laughs> as Arkansas is to New York, right? You know? So, but um, I love that diversity because you can actually draw from all those different influences and put them into a song. Now, like country, if you listen to country radio now, you'll hear somebody like a Luke Combs, that's more of a '90s country style kind of guy. Yeah. Or you'll go to someone like a Cam or a, a Marin Morris, who's kind of more pop indie kind of sounding. And it's all on that one station now. And so the cool thing to me about that is you can bring in all these different influences and, and add them into a song. Like we're using a lot more drum loops now than we used to. We're using a lot more effects than we used to. Um, so I love that, man. I just I love having that yeah. that opportunity to write a whole lot of different things. Yeah. You know, whether I'm writing for uh, uh, a real country artist or if I get opportunity to write for a real pop artist, I like that challenge of uh, coming up with something new and fresh. Yeah. So, yeah, I've always just been open to writing whatever I had to write for that that market, that yeah. opportunity that came up. So, yeah. yeah. You're really good at it, man. Cody's, oh, thanks, got, man. Cody's got a piece of uh, this Coca-Cola track we're going to play just to give you an idea of what we mean by diversity. Oh, cool. And girl, I really like that. Put you in a six-pack. Bottle you up. Bottle you up. A sippy from a chill glass just to get the feel back. Bottle you up. Bottle you up. I can't get enough of your sweet taste kind of love. All right, so so don't even say nothing. All right, go to the next one. We're fixing to play a Tracy Lawrence track that's, again, about as far from New York as to Arkansas, <laughs> just to give you an idea of this diversity. We can sit down in the porch swing, <laughs> there you go. play with the kids in the yard. Get lazy, had enough crazy. Life ain't got to be so hard. All life don't have to be so hard. 
That's great, man. Hey, Kenny Drain, a.k.a. Kenny West, ladies and gentlemen. That's Can incredible. ride it all. Dude, that's incredible, though, because like, we just played three songs back-to-back. They're yeah, really yeah. all have a lot of difference to it. Well, and the cool thing about Bottle You Up was I wrote that with my buddy Neil Greenhall, which owns Haxton Road Studios yeah. in Bentonville, and, and uh, it got picked up by Coke real quick, but we started pitching around Nashville, and this kind of tells you where the market is now. Um, it got played uh, for Warner Brothers for Dan and Shay. And they really liked it and thought it was cool. And it's kind of, they kind of seriously looked at it for a little while, but then it kind of moved on to writing their own stuff. But so that's still, even though it's really pop, uh, I can still pitch that in Nashville right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's still country artists right now that could kind of country it up a little bit enough where it could probably still get cut. Yeah. yeah. So that's just the diversity of the market right now. So as a songwriter, uh, to me, my opinion is, if you want to be the most successful you can be, you, you've got to be willing to do that. Yeah. Right. And you think about it, too, a lot of the new writers coming up, a lot of new artists are these, uh, you know, 18 to uh, 28-year-old kids that I call kids, um, that, you know, they've kind of grown up. Instead of like, like us, where we grew up with a lot of the Merle Haggards and the Hank Williams and the real staunch country yeah. people, they didn't grow up with that. They grew up with everything from Nickelback to uh, Garth Brooks. Yeah. To, so they've got a whole different mindset they go to when they're trying to write a song. Yeah. So the cool thing for me, you know, I'm an older writer. Uh, I still like writing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can write a bottle you up one day and write a Tracy Lawrence type song <laughs> the next day and get them both cut and just have fun doing it. Do you yeah. have to do anything mentally to do all those different types of songs or do you just approach it the same way? Uh, usually I'll, I'll really try if I'm going after a certain artist, I'll do a lot of research and listen to what they've done and try to get an idea of what they lean to the most musically and lyrically and, and uh, production wise. And so there is a lot of uh, research that goes into songwriting. Um, uh, there's a lot of, like any title you have right now, you've got to search it, make sure it hadn't been a big cut because if you write it, you go out of getting sued. And so oh, I'm still, in trouble, Cody. Still half your money, and <laughs> and so so there is, man. You got to cover your bases. You got to you got to make sure the idea is unique enough that no, someone's not going to try to sue you for it down the road, and and they won't sue you immediately. The way that makes a bunch of money, then yeah, get half right. of it. But yeah, as far as mentally, I try to um, if I'm really going after a certain type of artist. Um, I'll listen to their stuff for days and just try to get in that whole mindset of what they're looking for. But the hard thing is, as a writer, you can't think about what they're doing right now. You got to think where they're going to be in a year from now. Yeah. What's the, so you got to look at trends. You got to look at where it's, the society's going. You got to think, okay, this is what their new project sounds like, but I know they're not going to stay there. Yeah. So then you got to try to look at what, what kind of music are they listening to? What's influencing them? So you got to find articles with them saying, "Yeah, I listen to Drake or I listen to George Strait." Wow! So you got to you got to get all. Uh, there's so much that goes into songwriting now to be competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can still just uh, get a guitar out and write a song in 30 minutes, not even think about it. And sometimes it gets cut. But really, the nitty gritty of the business side of it, you've got to really look at what you're doing, and you got to really make sure the legal side's right and you're you're protected and and. Um, you got to do everything you can do to make sure, because you, you only get that one shot. Yeah. So you got to make sure you've done everything you can do by the time you get there that it gets the best impact it has. Yeah. So. Well, you've wrote a lot of songs, and I'm going to ask you a question. The answer might be both, but have you found that your more successful songs have just come to you pretty pretty fast, or do you have some that have been six months, two years? Uh, both. 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 Yeah. I mean, there there's still. Um, uh, there's songs that I mean I write every day. I, I try to discipline wise i try to put some time into writing um i don't care if i've been busy with family all day or i'm doing something in the studio all day uh usually before i get home at night or if i'm going to lunch i'll get an idea and i'll write it down on my phone or whatever title or something i hear you know and um but yeah sometimes they just man they just fall out you know you just all of a sudden it's like god i wrote this whole song in 30 minutes you know uh, I rewrite a whole lot of it. I'll go back after I've written one, and, and I'll I, I go down every line and think, is that the best line that can be? can be? You know, is that communicating the best thing it can communicate? Is it painting the best picture it can paint? Is it is it complementing the next line? Is that going to help going to that course better? Yeah. So I'm pretty I'm pretty hard on my songs, especially if it's something I've written by myself. You know, I, I just really pick it to death. And then sometimes you'll just – they just hit and you throw it out and you go, I don't want to change anything. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's done. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't know, do you throw it out there and see if anybody likes it or not? But, 
It's both. I mean, there's songs I've written that, uh, like the thing I wrote with Heath Sanders, she played, um, um, uh, Son of a Good Man. Um, uh, we started that thing, I think, in November of the year we wrote it, and we sat with it for six months. I pulled it back up, tweaked it some, sent it to him. He tweaked it some, sent it back. So that song was probably a year in the making before I actually demoed it. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I'm assuming you have, do you have a pretty good tight-knit circle of just – people you send stuff to for critiques and what do you think yeah or, i mean it that's tricky too because you don't want to get too many opinions yeah. i mean songwriters for the most part are pretty insecure most artists are pretty insecure people you wouldn't know that till you get with them behind the scenes yeah uh, i'm not as insecure as i used to be i'm pretty i've done it long enough now i'm pretty sure if i if i feel good about something then i'm going to stick with it yeah um but yeah, there's some guys like I'll send my stuff to Jeff and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And he's he's honest with me, man. He'll say, "Yeah, it's okay." Yeah, nah, go back. Yeah, try it again. Or he'll say, "Man, it's great. Keep it." You know. Uh, so there's a few people I trust their opinion and they're seasoned enough. I know that they'll give me an honest opinion. Yeah. Um, like I'll being where I am now and all the songs I've I've written several hundred songs and had cuts and it'd be hard for me to send someone to a brand new songwriter and get their opinion because I oh, think yeah. I think. Do you really know what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. No credibility. I mean, kind of the the thing in Nashville is they say, you know, write 100 songs before you even come to Music Row. Oh, wow. You know, because until you write at least 100 songs, we're not going to take you serious, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I let some people, I let my wife listen to them, and and I always think, man, if I put kind of an off-color word in there, it's going to (laughs) go... Yeah, my kid's going to hate me for it. And, and even though I'm trying to get the emotion, you know, I'm trying to be authentic. It's like, yeah, but dad, I don't, you know, my grandchild don't want to hear that, you know. So, so it's, it's, it's tough, but you get to the point where you, after I've done it as long as I've done it, um, I've got a pretty good feel if it's ready or not. Yeah. You know? And if I throw it out there and I'm just not getting any attention at all, and people, if I'm hearing the same comments, like if we hear, yeah, the hook's just not that strong. If you hear that two or three or four times, once you start pitching it, then you can go, yeah, I need to go back and change it. Right. Yeah. The problem is once you throw it out there and you start pitching it to artists and producers and they heard it, it's almost impossible to go back and change it and then come back and say, hey, I changed the chorus. Right. are like, yeah, we're, we're done. Already doing something else. Yeah, so you got it. Man, when you go in there, you've got to have it ready. That's why I spend a lot of time on my demos. My demos are just about album ready. And that you have to, I mean, with competition right now, you've got to walk in there with something that sounds like a hit yeah. uh, production wise. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. It sounds like a very competitive yeah. industry for sure. It is like, but man, you're getting to do it. And, and this whole, yeah. this whole podcast is about living your passion. And so when we get to talk to people that are getting to do that. Yeah. And, I love what you guys are doing, man. Stuff that you've had success with, man. It's awesome just to hear your story. Yeah. And I'm excited with everything that's happening for your new album, your new single. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to throw it out there and not know if anybody's going to like it or not, you know. And I mean, you throw it out there and the artist cuts it, cuts it or doesn't cut it, you can say, well, he flopped because his team didn't do a good job. Or, <laughs> right. Or he said something wrong on social media, and they blanket him, you know. And, yeah. and but when you throw it out there yourself, man, it's like, oh crap, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is this going to go or not? Was so, that was that a challenge for you after being out ten years or so, coming back and putting the first first music out in public? Yeah, it was. You know, it, uh, um, it was just it was a strange feeling. It's like I almost had to get to the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to do this for me. Yeah. And I, I just want to, I just want to throw it out there because I want to, I want my kids to hear it. I don't have something I can let them see that their dad did. They thought, hopefully they thought it was cool. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I just kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? People may hate this stuff, but I don't want these songs just sitting here yeah. for a year, not doing anything. And you always hope if I throw it out there, maybe someone will hear it, you know, either on a podcast or they hear it on Facebook or right. something. And it makes them go, man, I heard that song and I want to cut that. Yeah. You know, so it's also a way to keep your brand going. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a little, it was a little weird, you know, putting out something after all these years and, and wondering, God, what's going to happen? I think we yeah. all face that, though. It's that fear of failure. Yeah. We all run into that wall eventually at some point. Oh, yeah. And that's why we joke on podcasts all the time. We may not be entertaining anybody, but <laughs> by George, we're entertaining ourselves. <laughs> we're going to have a good time regardless if anybody else does or not. But well, and that's when I did this album, man, I thought, I'm going to put 10 songs in there that I just I just like. Yeah. You know, whether it was me or not, I'd probably buy this record. I just like it. So yeah. I tried to make it fun and... And try to make it something that that I would want to hear 
next year or the year after, you know. So so I'm happy. I mean, it's doing pretty well so far. And I'm getting a lot of great things opening up with it. And uh, whatever happens, happens, you know. And if it does great for me, great. But I'm still from the songwriter side. I want to pitch all of them. Oh, yeah. You know, and it and be cool for me to be able to do my own project. And then also hear another Jason Aldean cut or something like that. That'd be cool. Yeah. That's so, awesome, man. You know, if Heath grammed us his own project and wants to do a couple of songs. Oh, hey, Kenny, we've been joking around about the Five O'Clock Live Tour plenty on the podcast. Hey, man, I love that name. And, I, uh, I'm already thinking about songs to write for it. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all don't know this yet. Big announcement here. Uh, true story. Kenny's my, uh, did I tell you you're going to be my mentor? <laughs> I don't know if you're looking for any mentorees. Well, but. You, need, you need to go find a really good counselor to add to that team. If you want me to mentor, you can hey, be in trouble. All I can guarantee is we're going to have a good time, man. That's all I can guarantee. We may not. We're probably going to lose money if I'm involved. But, uh, no, we are going to have some fun, man. We can't let the cat completely out of the bag. But we got some fun stuff we're going to be working on. And uh, we have joked around about some of that on this podcast. And so – be uh, awesome. After today, man, we've had some more some more quick meetings about some future potential stuff that we're looking to do in yeah, it's gonna the be television fun. side, and uh, it's going to be awesome, man. Most importantly, we want to have we got one rule: have fun or don't do it. If it ain't fun, we ain't doing it. Hey, man, I'm I'm all on the Heath Graham tour, and the, <laughs> you know, as long as I can get my own bus and and uh, you know. Cody and I'll go out and write all the songs for you and all the music, and we'll be your we'll be your guys that keep all the people away from oh, right. you. you know? I'm sure that will be a major. I'm problem. already thinking for the fake live tour, I could write fake song tour. Hey, you know, and it'd be a song. It's not really a song. I got another guy that was potential manager. He's pretty big wig in the industry, and he said, "Does that mean the money's fake too?" <laughs> I said, "Probably so." Hey, most of the money is fake in the music industry, but uh, he said, "He said awesome. That means I might be managing a bank that a, a band that ain't real." <laughs> You nailed it. Said, well, that's pretty much what we're shooting for here. That's awesome, man. And so uh, we do love music, though. I mean, I, me and Cody, we kind of come from a small music background, and heck, all of our team on the creative side does. And um, I don't know. We just enjoy it. Yeah, man. You know, we were talking about earlier how music is so important and, and talking about if you didn't have any music in your program, what that would be like. Yeah. And how music literally causes the emotion of everything you're doing, so how important it is. and. And, but just to be able to do it and have fun with it, man, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So so what would you tell somebody? You've been doing this a while. What would you tell somebody who was looking to get into maybe songwriting or whatever, whatever kind of career? Uh, but what would you tell somebody that, that has an interest if you could tell them something? You know, I get asked that all the time, especially by a lot of younger people. And, and uh, I always just say, uh, man, do what you have the most passion about. I mean, you got to be realistic about it, too. Um, I had a young girl uh, fall back. I did an interview on a thing, and, and she, her mom was in, in there asking me questions. And she said, yeah, I've decided not to go to college because I want to be a solo act, and I've got a song coming out on social media. And, you know, I was torn because I didn't want to kill her dreams, but I wanted to say, man, go get that degree yeah. right? because it's a hard industry, you know, yeah. and you may, you may make it for – couple years you may not you may not uh, most artists right now the long-term careers like the rolling stones and those kind of people um man the 30 40 50 year careers in music just aren't happening wow. you know you may have you may have a year you may have 10 years um but you better diversify you better have that old that old saying of you better have something to fall back on so i'd say go after your passion but be smart about it man the industry is is a hard business um the cool thing right now is probably more than I've ever seen it before is you don't necessarily have to have that major record deal. You no. don't, you don't necessarily have to have that management team and that production. You can do stuff on your own independently. Um, and you can make a great living. You know, you can make a six figure income by just going out and promoting yourself and touring once touring starts back. Uh, I would just be real smart, man. I'd be real smart about the people you put around you in your team. There's a lot of great people out there. There's a lot of really bad people. Yeah. I'm sure you guys see it in your industry too. That's yeah. just they're just trying to find somebody to make a buck off of, and uh, especially younger kids that don't know any better. Um, and I, I, this girl asked me, said, "Do you think I should go ahead and get a manager first or a producer?" I said, "No, you need to go get a lawyer. Yeah, get a lawyer first, and get somebody that understands the music industry. Don't just get us some local guy that that does typical lawyer stuff. Go find someone who understands. It's an absolutely different mentality. Yeah." Um, Get you a good lawyer that's connected because they can they can make sure you're protected on who you're signing with. You know, don't come get some producer or some manager is just seeing dollar signs, you know, and 
as soon as your career starts to take a little dip, they get rid of you and get the next person. Yeah. Find you someone who's, who's going to stick with you for the next, it's a, it's a good five to seven year commitment. Yeah. You know, if you realize once you get, uh, even if it's a major record deal, once you get it and you get in there and you start writing the songs, you get the producer, it could be a year or longer before you even get a single on the radio. So I would start out doing what you love and you, and man, the advantage right now is social media with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the different things that are out there. Um, you can literally get a career going on your own. Yeah. And the cool thing is if you start getting up into that, you know, 500,000 views, a million streams, whatever, the industry will come find you. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're down there watching that every day. They're on YouTube and on yeah. all the sites. And so if they see someone taking off and blowing, that's kind of what happened to Luke Combs. He had a huge following on, on social media. Yeah. And they came and found him. So, so you can do it uh, a lot of different ways now than, than what we had to do years ago. But I would just, I'd be really smart about who you put around you. Yeah. Make sure you have somebody that can protect you and have your best interests in mind. So. Yeah. Great advice, man. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready to wrap this thing up, man. Cool, I really, dude. really appreciate you coming <clears throat> home, taking the yeah, time. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks. Have some fun with us. And uh, real quick, though, where can people find you? Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, Facebook, Kenny Drain Music. Uh, YouTube, Kenny Drain Music. Um, you can uh, the album's out called Horses and Steel. Ten songs. Um, you can uh, search it on all the mainstreams uh, sites. Uh, so on iTunes, Amazon Music, YouTube, Google Play, Deezer. Uh, Shazam, I mean, it's it, depending on where you are, it's, it's on 150 different sites. So if you go out there and search for it, you'll find it. Yeah, that is awesome. We're going to play this thing out, Cody, the producer man, with a single he's got out called Sleep When I Die. Hope you enjoy this little piece of Kenny Drain. Until next time, peace out. Thanks, God guys. bless. Sleep when I die